It's my pleasure to be joined again by the Attorney General of the state of Connecticut, William Tong, joining us today, working what I guess is a uh, state holiday, or the holiday for Lincoln's birthday. We appreciate you stopping by this morning, Mr. Tong. And for starters, did your team win the Super Bowl last night? You know, actually, I was sort of agnostic, but I was happy to see Patrick Mahomes uh, win with a with a with a difficult injury and see him gut that out um, and win in, in the closing minutes was pretty exciting. But I'm bearing the lead here, Mr. AG, because what I want to hear is about your wife's roast Chinese spare ribs. I saw the picture on Twitter, and oh my, they looked awesome. So, uh, you know, God bless my wife. She's not Chinese, but she's been uh, adopted into a Chinese family when she got married to me, and my parents ran a Chinese restaurant. So they've got their own secret Chinese spare rib recipe that so many of us adore and love, um, but she's made it her own, and she, she worked hard on it, pre-marinade. You know, it was, it was pretty sweet and tangy, and uh, everybody really enjoyed it. It, was, it came out really well. You saw from the pictures that she, um, she first, you know, started them in the oven, then we finished them on the grill, and they came out perfect. Now, my judge of ribs is, do they fall off the bone, and do you need a knife the ideal ribs, in my mind, you can just eat them with a fork. You don't need a knife. Did they pass that test last night? Uh, see, Wayne, we're going to have a difference of opinion than that one. I tend to like ribs to be a, a, have a little bit more um, chew factor. And, you know, Chinese ribs aren't quite like Western ribs in that they don't normally fall off the bone. Um, you know, the, the meat has a little bit more bite and substance and chew to it. So that's the way we like it in our house. Enough playtime for us here. You've been a busy man in the last couple of weeks. A lot of major stories have broken. Back last week, you sued five Connecticut retailers for alleged violations of the Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act over the sale of illegal Delta 8 THC products mimicking popular youth-oriented snacks and candies. William, I saw the pictures of those on TV and on the web as well. I'll tell you what, they look like something that an eight-year-old would buy expecting to buy candy. That's a big trouble. I understand why you're doing this. So update me on where that stands right now. Yeah, that's really scary. Um, unfortunately, right now we're dealing with look-alike cannabis products. So uh, number one, we see cannabis products which are you know, supposed to contain or allegedly contain marijuana or, or marijuana-derived products, and, you know, they sell them in packages that look like candy or, or snacks. So, for example, we've seen things like Stonios instead of Oreos and Warheads instead of Airheads. And now, unfortunately, on top of that, um, we're seeing products that are, that are known as Delta-8, and Delta-8 is a hemp-derived product, what they do is they put the hemp through a chemical process to pump up the small amount of THC in, in hemp so that now you've got a hemp-derived product that produces a lot of THC and gets you high. But this stuff is totally unregulated. It's being sold in vape shops, tobacco shops, and at gas stations, and it has THC that is above the 0.3% um, 
that requires you to sell it in a licensed marijuana dispensary, any product that has THC over 0.3% is required to be sold in a licensed market. And if you don't sell it in a licensed market, it's illegal. And they're selling it in bags that, that look like Fritos, that look like candy. And it's really scary because, you know, I have an 11-year-old, and if you saw a bag like that lying around, you might think it's candy or snacks. Um, eat the whole bag, and if you do that, a kid could be ingesting as much as a hundred times, one hundred times the amount that would be safe for an adult. And I don't have to tell you that that could put you in a hospital or worse. According to the Connecticut Poison Control Center, one in five children nationally who eat edibles accidentally are admitted to the hospital. When we legalized cannabis in Connecticut, did somebody drop the ball on this? It seems to me this should have been regulated when we legalized it and not after the fact. The trouble is, is that um, our, our, our recreational and licensed market has very strict requirements. Th- these are bootleg products. These people are not following the law. They're not going to the licensed market. This is the black market. Um, I, I suppose we could have foreseen that the black market would not go away, um, and the legislature, you know, in its judgment with the governor, decided to move forward. Um, and, and unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of these bootleg products out there, which is why I commenced these lawsuits, and I'm taking strong law enforcement action. And the companies that were subject to the enforcement action last week, two in Manchester, one in East Hartford, one in Plainville, and one in Enfield. But what's the message for all of the folks in Connecticut who sell this stuff, who may be playing by the rules right now, but you're sending a message to them as well, aren't you? Well, they're not playing by the rules if they're selling it. So if you're selling Delta 8 in your store, chances are it's illegal. Chances are it's 0.3% THC or higher. And we haven't seen any products, by the way, that are below 0.3% THC. Um, They're totally unlicensed, unregulated, which means, by the way, nobody's tested these products. They're bootleg black market products. So I have no idea whether um, THC in, in those products are even safe, or that they even contain THC. And, and, and given the risk of fentanyl um, uh, in all of our communities and the fact that just a little bit of fentanyl can get you killed, I'm really worried about these um, bootleg black market products that are totally untested, totally unregulated. Um, nobody knows what they're getting, and they're packaged in a way that's very appealing towards kids. They're, they're, we in the, in in our business, we call them youth-attracting products. And as you know, Wayne, this is how the big tobacco companies got a generation or generations of kids hooked on smoking cigarettes. Now the vape companies are doing the same thing, and now you've got these look-alike cannabis and Delta-8 products, which are designed to get kids to start using them. It's serious stuff. And changing gears, back on Friday, you uh, had a comment about the group that's trying to ban Mifepristone which would impact every state, including Connecticut, and would force women who choose to end their pregnancies into unnecessary surgical procedures. Tell me more about that, that case. Yeah, look, here, here in Connecticut, um, abortion is legal, period. Reproductive health care is not only legal, but embraced and supported. And we want to make sure that if you need to have an abortion and if you need access to reproductive health care, um, that that health care is not just legal, but safe and accessible. And um, cutting off 
access to medication um, abortion and requiring someone to seek a surgical abortion is just not safe. It's, it's wrong. Is this an attempt to reject science and inject partisan politics into the doctor-patient relationship? Well, of course it is, and it's part of what I think is a war on American women. Um, I don't, I really don't understand uh, why um, certain actors and certain leaders in this country um, think in this day and age in 2023 that women have less rights than men, um, that women should be put at risk, and that women's lives, millions of American women should be put at risk when for um, 50 years before Roe versus Wade was overturned, um, we had as a country, a system that in many places promoted safe, legal access to reproductive health care and abortion. You can hear the hesitation in my voice, and the hesitation is, you know, even under Roe versus Wade, there were places where um, abortion was not, was not um, as legal, frankly, or as accessible, um, and therefore not as safe because of restrictions on women in those states and patients, but unfortunately now we're seeing that across the country. Attorney General William Tong with us this morning. A federal appeals court struck down the domestic violence gun law. How does that affect Connecticut? So, um, Wayne, you probably saw, as most people in Connecticut saw, in horror that uh, a young woman, Tracy Marie Jones, was shot and killed by her estranged husband in Bethel a couple weeks ago. Um, that that crime looks a lot like um, the domestic violence-related shooting in Andover, Massachusetts last week, and then um, back a few years ago uh, in Oxford, Connecticut, where Lori Jackson, who um, was a, uh, an employee at the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, um, her mom, Mary, was shot in the face four times, and then Lori was murdered by her estranged husband, Scott, while their 18-month-old twins were asleep upstairs in their bedroom, in their cribs. And because of that, um, Mary, who survived shooting, um, but her, her daughter did not, Mary and her husband, Doug, and um, Casey, their surviving daughter, fought really hard uh, to pass Lori Jackson's law, the domestic violence gun law, and it's it's pretty simple. You know, when somebody's engaged in a domestic violence situation or dispute, and uh, usually a woman finally tells that guy to leave the house, that's the most dangerous time um, in that dispute and probably in that person's life. And that's when well, that's when you got to take guns out of the out of the equation and take away the risk that someone's going to get shot because people do get shot and they get killed. And um, we passed that law just to take guns out of the hands of domestic abusers in those dangerous moments. And, and, and frankly, there's no, there's no common sense, rational objection to that law. And what the Fifth Circuit did in Texas is unconscionable. A week ago today, the Connecticut Coalition Against Domestic Violence tweeted, Honored to join Attorney General William Tong, 
policymakers, advocates, and survivors like the Jackson family to call for the protection of strong state and federal laws intended to protect domestic violence victims by keeping firearms out of the hands of abusers. Domestic violence and firearms, a deadly combination. Pretty much sums up what you just said, didn't it? Yeah, it really does. And, you know, I think you'd be hard-pressed if you walk down the street in Wyndham and talk to people, particularly women, does it make sense to let domestic abusers keep their guns? I think most people would say no. Um, that's really dangerous. And, and But it's not just women and commit partners, um, spouses, girlfriends at risk. But what about kids? You know, very often kids are in this equation. I told you that um, Lori Jackson's uh, toddlers were upstairs in their room. And so this is when you got to take guns out of the equation. What other things have been done in Connecticut to protect domestic violence victims? Uh, a lot of things. We have a very strong um, set of not just protections, but services. PCADV, which you referenced, the Connecticut Coalition Against Domestic Violence, um, runs a hotline and and has a role in managing many of these programs and services uh, for people that are victims of domestic violence. I also help to pass what's known as the dual arrest law. So very often police officers will show up and um, there's, a there's a domestic violence dispute. And um, what they do is they arrest both people. And if you're the victim, you get arrested too. And then I don't have to tell you what will potentially happen. You could lose your job. You could lose your housing. You could lose your children. Um, and so what the dual arrest law says is the police um, have to consult, you know, police records, and but also make a judgment as to who the aggressor is and to not arrest the victim. There's a story in the news today about trying to prevent people under 16 years of age for having a social media account. What's your take on that? And can the Attorney General have a say in that as far as how we do it here in Connecticut? Yeah, we're we're investigating most of the major social media platforms. I think everybody knows now that um, not just social media, but devices, uh, phones, iPads for young people can be addictive. Um, they can be physically addictive. And a lot of the content on social media um, can be very harmful and, and, frankly, very harmful to young women um, with all, all the bad messages that are sent to young women about about body self-image, about uh, weight loss, about eating disorders, and it can result in not just poor self-esteem and bad body self-image, but... Um, sometimes depression, self-harm, or worse. So it's really important that we look for new ways to control these harms and, frankly, regulate social media companies. And I, I think 13 we're seeing is often too young for young people to be on social media. So I welcome the conversation that we're going to 16. And lastly, there's just been a rash of wrong way accidents. We had a bad one in Southington back on Friday night. It seems like it's getting worse before it gets better. Is there anything the Attorney General's office can do to regulate or somehow reduce the number of wrong way accidents that we have? 
you know, we're working closely um, with the Department of um, uh, Public Protection, uh, Emergency Services and Public Protection, DESP, and obviously our law enforcement partners. We don't, the Attorney General's Office, very limited criminal authority uh, in our state. The state's attorneys exercise authority. So to be candid, I don't have a direct role or footprint in that area, but I'll do everything I can to legislate it in the legislature and as a law enforcement partner to help them strengthen enforcement, make sure they have the resources. Um, you know, what's happening, and this happened to my friend Quentin Q. Williams, a state representative who died in Middletown uh, on the night of the inaugural ball, um, you know, was a wrong-way driver. You're doing some great work there, Attorney General. We appreciate you joining me today. And by the way, can you send me a doggy bag of those roast Chinese spare ribs? I didn't even take a photo of the wings that went with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, throw those in, too. Thanks for joining me this morning. Thanks. Talk to you soon. That's the Connecticut Attorney General, William Tong, our guest this morning. We have him on every month on the second Monday of the month. So we'll have him on coming up in March as well. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.